Welcome to Inspiration from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. For the next several weeks, I'll be tracing the origins of general American attitudes about heaven and hell from the beginning in the early 17th century to the present. These podcasts will help you better understand why you believe what we believe. This first week's podcast is an introduction to the subject. Early in the morning of August 31, 1997, America awakened to the stunning news that Princess Diana had died in a car accident in Paris. Five days later, another woman whom millions admired also died. Mother Teresa of Calcutta passed away at an advanced age after a life of charitable works and faithfulness to God. In the media, there were many remarks about the significance of these two women dying in the same week. At the British Embassy in Washington, hordes of people created a makeshift memorial of floral tributes, posters, stuffed animals, balloons, and written messages. In the midst of it was a seven-foot-high plywood placard on which someone had painted an angel with its arms outstretched. Across the top, a message proclaimed, The angels rejoice, for heaven welcomes Princess Diana and Mother Teresa. While it is easy to understand how someone would believe Mother Teresa had gone to heaven, Princess Diana's case seemed less certain. Most of her admirers simply assumed she had gone there. But why? Was it because of her beauty, fame, vulnerability, and tragic death? Is that what it takes to go to heaven? Ten years later, at a concert in her honor, performer Diddy offered a musical homage in which he encouraged the audience to raise their faces to the sky and tell Diana how much they missed her, confident she was up there listening. Contemporary Americans tend to believe all people go to heaven and view the idea of hell as repugnant. There is a general assumption that unless someone was a child pornographer, racist, drug lord, or terrorist, he or she will go to heaven. Even then, Americans want to give people the benefit of the doubt largely because they can't believe a loving God would send people to such a place. If someone dies for a good cause or as an innocent victim of a crime, it is taken for granted they are destined for heaven. According to public opinion, this holds true for all the victims of September 11, 2001. It's not as if we come right out and say these things, because most Americans haven't really thought them through. Our public statements, however, support this viewpoint. For example, after the attacks on America, a New York City firefighter told a reporter, Heaven has some fire department now. While he might have meant that many of the firefighters who died trying to save lives were worthy of heaven because of their religious faith, it is far more likely he believed all of the rescuers automatically went to heaven based on the honorable way in which they had died. We can understand, of course, looking for hope 
in the face of the tragic loss of life, especially on the scale of 9-11. Yet, most people haven't thought out the implications of these views logically, theologically, or otherwise. Rather, deep emotions have given rise to a common belief, and it seems unfeeling to question it. Such thinking is problematic. In an ironic twist of this notion, Mohammed Atta, one of the 9-11 hijackers, also believed as a result of that day's events, he would go to heaven. For a Muslim, martyrdom is the only sure way of getting to paradise. In an unsettling way, this is close to the common American belief that if someone dies tragically or honorably, he or she is especially worthy of heaven. Atta wrote these instructions to himself before his reprehensible act. Be happy, optimistic, calm, because you are heading for a deed God loves and will accept. It will be the day, God willing, you spend with the women of paradise. On that September day, one of the workers who labored at the top of the North Tower sustained third-degree burns over 30% of her body during a dramatic escape. Her recovery was as horrendous as the experience that prompted it. Of her, a Newsweek reporter wrote, she had gone to hell and then slowly, painfully come back. Many others commented that people had experienced hell that day, but could they rationally support the belief that hell is something unspeakable that happens on earth, rather than a place or condition in the afterlife? A year and a half later, when the space shuttle Columbia disintegrated upon re-entry to earth, President George W. Bush told the stunned nation, The same creator who names the stars also knows the names of the seven souls we lost today. The crew of the shuttle Columbia did not return safely to Earth, yet we can pray that all are safely home. This was in sharp contrast to comments at the memorial service in Houston three days later by Captain Kent Rominger, Chief of the Astronaut Corps. During the eulogy, he addressed the deceased heroes as if they could hear him. I know you're listening, he said. Please know you're in our hearts. We will always smile when we think of you. Because the astronauts were brave and noble and died tragically, they were thought to be in a conscious state, aware of all that was happening on Earth. It's a warm and a popular sentiment, but on what is this outlook based? When ex-Beatle George Harrison died of cancer in his 50s, one accolade read, he was a cultural explorer, introducing Indian sitar to Western ears and adding Hindu thought to our consciousness. And he was a humanitarian, conceiving the all-star benefit with a 1971 concert for Bangladesh. But let's face it, Harrison was a Beatle first and foremost, not a bad deal for eternity. 
Again, the assumption was that because he was good-hearted, innovative, and famous, Harrison attained eternal life. Nothing else about him mattered, not his personal morality or even his religious convictions. All of these stories represent the current American view of the afterlife. For how long have we been thinking this way? How did past generations view heaven and hell, and how did that affect the way they lived? Death and what comes next are crucial aspects of life, and we take a huge risk if we cannot support what we believe, especially if exclusive religious claims are true. One of the world's most identifiable and popular works of art is Rodin's The Thinker. Created in 1881, this brilliant sculpture has come to represent man's search for knowledge. The thinker is, however, far more than that. Rodin created it in conjunction with his work The Gates of Hell, inspired by Dante's epic poem The Divine Comedy. The thinker was a naked man contemplating a troubling scene, the punishment of souls writhing in hell because they turned their backs on God. Particularly disturbing are its images of children in torment, those whom we think of as innocents personified. Rodin lived in the modern era when scientific thought prompted people to pursue and find universal truth about life and death. For secularists, that truth would be based on scientific inquiry. For religionists, on reason and a rational, intellectual study of their holy books. When a person arrived at that attainable truth, he or she could rest assured of their convictions. This is not so in our postmodern society, where all truth is seen as relative and not universal, as specific only to individuals and their environments. It is ironic that with all of our personally held convictions, we are arriving at the same conclusion. All good people go to a good place, usually called heaven, where they look down on us, and there is no hell except for the worst of the worst human beings, and maybe not even then. When Tim Russert died in 2008, he left behind two heartwarming books about fathers. In Wisdom of Our Fathers, he recounted the story of a woman who shared a special love for the New York Yankees with her father. Although he died when she was only 12, she says she still feels that he is with her, and she looks forward to their heavenly reunion. Whenever I see anything with a Yankees logo, something pulls at my heart, she said. It could be my dad telling me that when we meet again, I should bring his chair, and if I can find one, an ice-cold bottle of Valentine beer. Such sentiments make hurting people feel better, but they are very much like drinking alcohol in a snowstorm. While it makes a freezing person feel warm, it is dangerous. People have been known to freeze to death feeling warm. Thank you for joining me for Inspiration from American History. For a deeper treatment of the subject, 
please get a copy of my book, Who Goes There? A Cultural History of Heaven and Hell. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.